From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. So today we're going to share a conversation with someone that I view as a, as a real leader in the new wave of innovation that's enveloping the industry. He is someone that I've gotten to know some over the course of the last year, and I'm so excited every single time we connect. I walk away inspired. I always learn something. Welcome to the podcast, David Thurston, co-founder of Pulp Riot Hair, Butterfly Circus, and Butterfly Lofts. Thank you, Gordon. This is so exciting to me. I am a huge listener of podcasts. It's what I do in airplanes. And so now... I get to listen to myself on the plane. How fantastic is that? <laughs> I, I never thought of it that way. I, I, I've, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by that. And, and, and to be quite honest, I, I did listen to myself on, on the last plane ride. So I love well, On the last plane ride, I caught your first guest, Nina Kovner, who I'm a huge fan of. And so I've got some massive shoes to fill. She's absolutely amazing, a good friend, and you guys just nailed it. So I hope I... Uh, I hope I lead lead just as well. I, I have every confidence that you're going to. So speaking about leading, we both just came out of ISSC Long Beach, uh, one of the big four beauty shows in America. And um, you guys launched Pulp Riot Hair at the show in a brand new shiny booth. And uh, you were the center of attention for three days. You know, I remember when I opened up my salon, somebody said you could spend a lot of money on advertising or you can buy a big ass sign. And that's what we did for my salon. And when we launched at ISSC, we wanted to go big. We wanted to be right in the center. We, and, uh, and I think it was a very successful launch. So let's tell the audience about Pulp Ride Hair, the launch we're, we're referencing. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the brand has become um, so well known so quickly, but for anybody who might not be paying attention, tell us about Pulp Ride Hair. Pulp Riot is a hair color line. It currently consists of 16 hair colors, um, semi-permanent. We are sold throughout the United States and Canada, in Southeast Asia, in parts of South America, the Caribbean. Uh, we just did a deal with Salon Centric as a, our na nationwide distributor through the United States. And we also um, have become part of the luxury brand partners family of products along with Orbe, R&Co, and Smith & Colt. That is a very nice group of brands to be hanging out with. Kudos to you and and, oh, yeah. and all your business partners. Um, I want to ask a little bit about the, the history of, of David Thurston in the industry, but but before we leave Pulp Riot, and of course, we'll swing back around again, but, but tell us who else is involved with Pulp Riot. Sure. So the company structure, actually, I'm the CEO and my wife, Alexis Thurston, who's a fantastic stylist, is the vice president of the company. And so unlike a lot of other um, brands who have used artists to build something where it's kind of like creating the boy band and it feels really produced, we're actually really raw and it's people um, that came together to create this. So also in the ownership group, we have Jay Wesley Olson, we have Iris Smith, known as Glamorous, we have Ricky Zito, known as Hair God Zito, and we have Ash Fortis, known as Exostylus XO. Those are the core members of our, lead, or of our ownership team. And then we also have, of course, luxury brand partners as owners as well. So together, we are fierce. Uh, we look 
like a color company should look. Uh, we're a very, very edgy group. You are. And then and the booth was like edginess center at ISSC. I, I, you know, was by there quite often in my, my meanderings on that big show floor. And um, again, you guys were, were very much the center of activity and a lot, a lot of coolness going on <laughs> in the booth, not nonstop. The, and I, and I love everybody that you mentioned. Um, so actually I, I need to ask you this. I should have done this earlier. Um, Best, one of my favorite questions. Um, you are in contact with a lot of people. You seem to be a power networker. Um, share with us some of the best advice you've ever gotten yourself um, that you think might be relevant to our audience. I have been told um, early on in my career that it's not what I could accomplish by myself, but what I can accomplish with working with other really great people. And so I've always been fascinated, not by the power of one, but by the power of many. And I think Pulp Riot and my Butterfly Circus education team, um, I use that advice um, to our benefit. You know, I could get out word by posting on our Pulp Riot page some some kind of content or some kind of a message, and we reach about 400,000 people. But when you take our extended network of people that I work with, you reach over 2.5 million people. And that's what's fascinating to me. So it's not what I can accomplish by myself. It's what I accomplish with other amazing people. So I, I love that for a few reasons, uh, everything you just said, but, but you kind of have been pioneering and leading in the indie space, um, the independent hairdresser, the renter, the, the suites, um, a, a controversial segment of the industry for many years. Um, and now considered not only mainstream, but I would say coveted by an awful lot of brands, an awful lot of companies. But but again, that advice, some would scratch their head and go, well, that's kind of the opposite of that. So I wanted you to talk about that because I'm seeing, you know, this, this whole category explode for many reasons and often for reasons people don't really understand. I think it's a very collaborative group of people um, in many ways. And again, that runs counterintuitive. So want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, that, that independent segment I noticed it about two years ago that things started really shifting, that there were people on Instagram, independent people in small businesses that were really starting to influence and shape trends and educate and inspire even more so than the product companies. And they just didn't seem hip to that idea. And so we created an education movement um, by just calling a few of them and saying, let's work together. Let's do the Woodstock of hair or the Coachella Music Festival of hair and come together and use this idea, the power of many to reach a broad audience. And so it was, um, it, it really showed me that we were on the right path when we all decided to post that there was going to be an education event on a night. We all posted at the same time and the class sold out in just a matter of seconds. Um, it just showed that we are reaching so many people. The problem is, is that now the product companies, I guess it's not a problem, but it's an observation. And that is that the product companies are starting to figure out that there's a lot of power and influence that they can use and harness to help their brands. But the issue is that so many of them are doing it and it comes across inauthentic. By hiring third-party marketing firms, it really makes it so that it feels like it's coming from a boardroom. And with Pulp Riot, I think the success, the early success can be boiled down to one important thing, and that is we created a community before we ever launched a product line, and everybody else is trying to do it in reverse. I think that's a that's a really interesting point. But I also want to talk about that in the context of just being in the salon, because you are a salon owner, 
Right. Um, it, it, it is a sweet, there, I know there's a story behind Butterfly Loft and I, I yeah. think it has to do with a previous model and the evolution. So talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a theme that runs through my life in the past, I don't know, decade that's, um, it's about taking risks, um, but it's also um, not complaining when there's change, but instead adapting to the change to figure out how to not get swallowed up by this giant wave of change, but instead try to surf the wave. With Butterfly Loft, Alexis and I created, my wife, we created a 25-station salon. And we looked at it when we built it, and we thought, how are we ever going to fill this place up? This place feels massive. And over the period of six years, we've expanded four times. We've been under construction more than we haven't been under construction. And now we occupy 10,000 square feet space with 70 stations. And it's interesting because we started off as a traditional salon. But as we've grown, we've added on the salon suite concepts. So when you say when you say traditional, you mean you were a commission salon? We were a, a hybrid commission rental. Okay. And then we switched over to 100% rental. And then when the salon suite craze started happening, and most of my um, most of the other salon owners around kind of complained about that and just didn't do anything, we decided we were going to try to beat the salon suites at their own game. And Alexis and I developed a business plan that was one page long. And the, it just said these words, build salon suites that don't suck. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, and, so, and we looked at the problems with some of the salon suites. And by the way, there's a lot of great ones out there. Um, but some of the problems are that there, um, people go into, the artists go into their suite, they lock the door, they work all day, they leave. There's not a lot of education or inspiration or camaraderie, all these benchmarks of what being a stylist is. And so we looked at that issue and we thought if we build our bungalows directly next to Butterfly Loft, we could create something really special by having Butterfly Loft, the main salon, feel more like New York, where there's this buzz, there's this energy, and you're surrounded by the best. And you have our salon suites be more like Brooklyn where you have easy access to New York, but you could go off and run your own show. And so the stylists in our bungalows get to take advantage of all the education and inspiration and friendships and camaraderie and synergies and marketing opportunities that our stylists and Butterfly Loft do, but they also get to run their own show in their own bungalow. And so that's how we morphed into that. And I actually believe that the industry um, in the future I hope that some of these awesome entrepreneurs that started these salons 10, 15, 20 years ago who have been complaining about the change, I hope they all rise up and figure out ways to adapt and to create different salon suites concepts instead of having just a few big chains dominate the landscape. And I, I think that will happen. I think what's really fascinating is is kind of the social dynamic that you're you're kind of referencing that's in and around your your salon business, which is, you know, one of the big criticisms of, of rental, especially to those who are, I think we're recruiting from the commission model is that, you know, your career is not going to go anywhere because you don't have access to the things that we know build careers. You don't have access to whether it's marketing of the, the larger salon, whether it's training, education, mentorship. And it seems like you've kind of, you know, kind of decoded and, and recoded that for, the rental and, and the suites model. Would you 
Yeah, I think so. I think that um, a lot of, we've been, um, I've heard my fair share of criticism that I'm pretty outspoken about in thinking that stylists should be independent. And when I say independent, I don't necessarily mean the pay structure, but I mean that they they should exist and in, in, in strive for independence. To me, the word independence is such a great word compared to the opposite of that. And that's being dependent, being dependent on somebody. Technology has made it so that every stylist can be more independent. And there's no stopping that. And so what we figured out is a way to bring the things that are generally the hallmarks of commission salons and make them available at a salon that's a rental salon. And so I, unfortunately, you know, I could go into a lot of commission salons across the country and find places where, there are, where there's not very good education, where there's not a good platform to build stylus. And I'm certain I could go through and find the same things with rental I truly think that the difference between the two these days is that one's paid differently than the other. But my job as a salon owner, it's very interesting. If stylists can book their own appointments, they can market themselves, they could take their own credit cards, they could do run their entire business on their cell phone, then why on earth do they need a salon owner anymore? And so I started thinking about that problem and seeing how can I make myself useful? And my job as a salon owner now is to figure out ways to make stylists more successful than they would be on their own or at the salon down the street. If I could accomplish that, then once again, they will need a salon owner and I am providing something that's of value to them. Well, in many ways, it's, you know, it's the evolution of the industry. It's the evolution of salons. And, and in many ways, you know, you're helping to reinvent the, the larger model. And I would hope that those who are on the other side of the equation, that more traditional commission salons are, are taking note of some of the things you're talking about. As, as somebody who's watched the numbers for a long time and watched this shift that we're happening and, and with change comes pain for a lot of people. And that's always hard for us to see and also hard for people to deal with. Talking to stylists, one of the primary reasons we see people across the country moving to rental is, is dissatisfaction with what they had hoped to get out of the model they were living in, meaning the commission model, meaning, meaning perhaps they didn't feel leadership or mentorship or, or feel that the education truly met their needs and was able to drive their career forward. And then I think if we go back to expectations, which I think at, at the end of the day, most of us, it's whatever expectations we have, that's how, that's how we judge everything. And we know people coming into our industry, one of the first things they hear before they sign up for school is that you, one of the great things about being a hairdresser is one day you can be your own boss. Whether it's great or not is an individual thing over the long haul of a career. But the expectation often is set before they go to beauty school that one day they will be their own boss. And so it's almost like we're kind of getting to that place now where that, that opportunity is becoming more real than, it's, than it ever has been. And the tools around all the industry, the social tools, the digital tools, are just making business, you know, it's kind of the democratization of business and marketing and everybody has access to these tools now. And I actually think that's a really great thing. Now, I want to make sure that people understand that I'm not trying to convince anybody to become rental. In fact, I consult salon owners all the time. And some of them come to me and ask me, how can they convert from commission to rental? And I look at their business and their P&L, and I advise them not to convert. This kind of a payment structure is not for everybody. Instead, I challenge them to look at how they run their salon as opposed to their actual compensation plan. In fact, I had somebody come to me about wanting to build salon suites, and their big hangup was, I don't know how to do the rental structure. I don't know 
the legal aspects of it. I don't know the accounting aspects. Can you show me? And I challenged them to ask them, why are they even doing it rental? You can have a salon suite concept and have it still be commissioned. And, um, and so I think people confuse the two. What I'm an advocate is, of is stylists being, I, I love the movement where there is this democratization, where they have access and they could do whatever they want and they could kill it and they're in control of their careers. But I'm also for the salon owner. And I want salon owners across the country, across the world, to start reevaluating the way they run their salons and from one of control and trying to control the situation to one of empowerment, to empower stylists to have more success than they would otherwise. I love that. And, and if, first off, I, I, I've, you're the first person that I've heard suggest that traditional salons can can take something from the suite model and, and kind of proactively utilize that, including including the physical facility. I love that. See if anybody jumps on that one. And then um, interestingly, the coaching idea, the same idea that, you, that you're applying to salon owners and kind of that cautionary message. I mean, I think it's so important to share the same message with stylists. I, I see so many you know people who make the choice to go independent, but maybe they weren't built for that. You know, um, I mean, we're all different. You know, we all have different needs in our lives. We all have different needs in, in terms of our career. We also have different strengths and weaknesses. Being your own boss is not an easy thing. No, it's not. And what's good for just from a salon owner perspective, what's good for my salon isn't necessarily what's good for somebody else's salon. And similarly with stylists, what's one person's path is not necessarily good for another person. There's a, I, 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 I try to teach stylists that moving from a stylist to a suite owner is not a promotion. It's just a different way of doing business. It's not the path to better things. It's, are you suited for that? Are you going to be successful in that situation and really evaluating it? And if you're not, not be afraid to reverse course and make a change back to where you were more successful. There are stylists in our bungalows. Um, I'm thinking of one um, in particular. Her name's Heart of Color on Instagram, Janae Hart. She's a really talented mid-20s girl. I believe she's 24, 25. And she rents a double bungalow, which means she has two chairs. And she pays a lot of money for that. She has her own full-time assistant. And you cannot get an appointment with her for a couple of months. She's happy. She's extremely successful. And it really is working out well for her. And so anybody who bashes people who work in salon suites, she's exhibit A as, isn't that the whole point? Happy, successful. She found that in the salon suite movement. But I've also had stylists leave our traditional salon butterfly loft to go into our bungalows and realize that it wasn't the best move for them. In fact, I saw their career. It, it was almost like it was this upward um, upward spiral, and then it became kind of a downward spiral um, because it just wasn't the right place for them. When I talk to to people who are questioning, you know, that direction again, you know, moving towards perhaps the independent model, one of the easy questions that pops into my head for them is is always, "What's your track record showing up to work every day on time?" And are you someone who comes in early? Because once you're on your own. You know, you don't have that whatever's hanging over your head to make sure you're you're showing up, and that that's so much a part of being successful. Um, and if you aren't clean, do not go in a salon suite because someone's not coming in and cleaning that for you. It's just going to be magnified. I that is that is <laughs> that is such an important trait. I, I love that. Any others? If we were gonna, if we're going to go down our little list here, you know, showing up is a good one. Being clean. Any other like benchmark traits? 
Yeah, if you like being around stylists, if that's where you derive your energy, then you also may want to reconsider the idea of going into salon suites because chances are you're just going to be around your clients all day. Um, and so, but if you do love being around your clients, that's kind of your zone. I'd give a long, good look at salon suites. It might be just the right thing for you. Let's, so let's talk about um, social media, um, what's happening in that space. But as it relates to something I think you're really brilliant at, and that, that's branding. And when we talk about business and our business in particular, you know, people like to, to talk about the individual as a brand, the salon as a brand, as well as the bigger idea of, of you know, beauty brands. Um, but again, I think social's transformed the, that idea and the things around it. So talk about that, because I know it's a passion of yours. Isn't it amazing that my salon could be a global brand with just one location? I was having a great conversation with Alan Edwards, which is who is a total legend hairstylist. He used to do Farrah Fawcett back in her heyday in the 70s. He owned several salons. And his goal was to, to build up this global brand. But in order to do so, he had to open up brick and mortar stores. And you would have to, in order to even be a national brand back 10 years ago, you'd have to have a shop in New York, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, and Miami, maybe. And now you can do it with just one location. And stylists, an individual stylist could have a stronger brand than some product companies that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years. When you look at the influence of some of the stylists that have, they're now creeping up to a lot of them having 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 people reach, that's super powerful when you've got some well-known brands who are more in the 80, 90, and 100,000 range. I think it's great for the industry. Um, I do feel that um, it's, uh, it's becoming a little bit saturated and we're about ripe for a new revolution um, because I knew back in the day, uh, two years ago, when we created Butterfly Loft, that there was this untapped demand for these, these individuals who could brand themselves. But I know another secret now, and that is, is that it's a little bit saturated. It's becoming so much more challenging to sell tickets to independent events than it was two years ago. And so I'm really looking forward to see where this all heads next. When you, you mentioned, you know, these these massive followings that, that some people now have managed to to grow. And and I think it confuses people. Uh, again, you know, we talk about, you know, these tools, you know, social media as a marketing tool, as a way to communicate with clients and prospective clients, so as a way to build mm -hmm. a brand. But then I think I, I run into a lot of younger, not even younger, people of all ages who are, are looking to do that. And they become intimidated because they see these big numbers and they say, well, if that's what it, mean, if that's what it takes to be successful, I don't even know how to begin to get there. Um, but I think there's a disconnect because I think that, that I don't know, I, I view a lot of these people as, as it, if I use a metaphor for the real world, the old school world, that they'd be like the platform artists. It's a different platform, um, but but they're doing something very different than trying to ne necessarily just keep that chair full. That's interesting. There is there is uh, it's, it really depends on what you want to accomplish. If your goal is to use social media to have your chair full all the time with wonderful clients, that's something that you don't need hundreds of thousands of followers to do. You just need to be savvy and post the right content. And the truth is is no matter what your age, um, even if you're an older stylist, it's time, it's past time, but it's not too late to pivot and change and to start using social media as a tool to build clientele and to keep people in your chair. Uh, though I used to teach my stylists five years ago about how to build a clientele and everything I taught them is completely archaic now. The number one, the best way, the only way 
that I think that's worth your time is really to do it on social media. Now, there's that. And then there's the other people who are amassing massive followings and they have other goals. And sometimes those goals are um, increased exposure, which leads to more opportunity within the industry, um, which could lead to opportunity of being a platform artist or doing some kind of education event or being recognized. Um, some of them are using it as um, an additional source of income through social media influencing and helping brands grow. Um, and so it just really depends. And the truth is, is you should never look at people's followings and say, I can never get there. So I'm not going to, it's time to start to climb now. And you'll be surprised with how quickly things steamroll. I think it's also important for, you know, someone who's looking specifically to build their book, you know, or, or to build traffic in a salon, um, to have specific goals, to have a plan. And I'll, I'll, offer up an example of a stylist um, who I won't say names, but somebody who has grown a big following and we were having a conversation about this. And, and he said, um, I, I, I didn't have a goal, um, which wasn't a bad thing in this situation, grew it really big and started to get appointments, people booking appointments from all over the country um, to the point where he couldn't take as many local clients um, then started having cancellations from people who were flying in from different places, then started getting frustrated. Also started to miss the regular interaction with clients. So in other words, he kind of saw a shift in his business model and ultimately wasn't happy about it and, and kind of pulled back and refocused his efforts so that they were aligned with what he truly wanted out of his life in the salon every day. So uh, any thoughts about goals and, and just whatever the focus might be uh, as you're thinking about social? Yeah, that's actually, that's a fascinating story. And whoever that person is, uh, that's a unique story out there. And I'd love to hear more about it. They should share it. Um, I'd like to look at my wife, Alexis, as a really good example of somebody um, who's really pivoted her career, mid-career, to have success and to achieve her goals. Um, she was, uh, at age 39, um, was looking at some of our younger stylists and seeing the kind of clients they had in their chair with these fun, funky, blue, green, red, yellow, pastel colors, and thought, I really would like to be doing more of those. And she also saw the exposure they were getting and the opportunity they were getting. The problem is that she had a full book, and they're mostly middle-aged women who, who, by the way, there's nothing wrong with this at all. In fact, this is a lot of, this is how you build your career. But it's not what Alexis wanted from her career. Most of them were coming and getting root touch-ups. And so she decided she needed to make a change. And a lot of our contemporaries would instead go on to Facebook or Instagram, and they might blast the idea of the colored hair, that it's a fad, um, that, that maybe even social media isn't as important, and the number of followers you have doesn't dictate how great of a stylist you are. All the things, the negative things that people say when they don't want to change or embrace the technology. Alexis decided that she was going to make a change, and she started taking creative color clients for free. And she actually went down to one of the beauty schools and enlisted some of the students to come in and get hair color done. What that enabled her to do is to transform her career. And now, we're, now she's known as one of the top creative colorists in the country. Lots of opportunities come from it. And um, she couldn't be more happy with the direction her career is going in mid, midway into her career. But one thing that we could all learn from that is, is the way that she transformed her career is, number one, doing things for free. I do things for free all the time, and I know everybody that's successful do, does that. And number two is the concept of what you put out is what you get back. And so if you're posting pictures of creative color clients, all of a sudden, 
you're going to get people that are creative color clients. If you post people that are blonde, you're going to get people that are blonde. If you want to get something different than what's in your chair, you have to break the cycle and start posting what you want to get back in your chair. And it reminds me too that having done what I do for a very long time, um, being in this industry now for 38 years and, and listening to education throughout my entire career, the basics haven't really changed. I remember when Tabitha Coffey, you know, first started talking publicly about her career. It's quite some time ago now. You know, she came from Australia, came with no clients. I believe she moved to New York City. She built her entire book initially on providing free services to people that she met in the retail store next door or out on the street and, you know, and, and just shares that and preaches that as a great way um, to, to build a clientele. And I, I love the idea of kind of mid-career, you know, taking that specific area that Alexis wanted to excel in and doing exactly the same thing. But, it, but again, we're not in an overly complex business. There's some really strong basics that, that a person has to use. And most of what we do in social is just a different version of the conversations that we're supposed to be having behind the chair. Excellent point. It, I think social just allows you to get it out a lot quicker. And that's why a lot of millennials are killing it because they understand that technology and the power of it. And I'm hopeful that more people become like Alexis and adapt that instead of continuing to complain about it. So it's, everything's moving fast. Um, yep. And there's, you know, we got more platforms and now we've got Snapchat. Um, Pinterest, of course, has been around for a while. I hear different things, people going back and forth. Uh, a lot of people are intimidated because there's so many choices. You know, I'm a proponent of less is more and, and try to focus. Um, but there's also more change coming down the pike. Any, any thoughts, any predictions, um, whether it's the stuff itself or, or the impact it's going to have on the industry? Well, like yourself, I, I, I don't really have the time to hit so many different social media sites. I really focus on Instagram because even though um, there are people in other social media sites, I think that's really where the beauty community lies. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Of course, something might come around and disrupt all that. Right now, live video is really hot, um, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I think it's, I don't think anybody's doing it really well right now. I think it allows somebody to come in and reinvent the way that you show hair being done on Instagram uh, live or Facebook live. But we are, um, even with Pulp Riot, we consider Pulp Riot not necessarily a hair product company, but a content creation company. We try to create as much content as we can. We invest heavy dollars into doing that. And stylists who are looking to build up their individual brands or salons that are looking to build up their brands really should look at creating video content to really boost themselves these days. I just read a, a, a research paper on what's happening global globally, you know, across all the, the different channels of, of digital and social. And the report stated that we're coming up on 80% globally on content consumption being video. It's it's massive. And of course, what we can do on mobile now. So it's it's it makes perfect sense what you're saying. Um, at American Salon, you know, we've blown up Facebook Live. We're doing three a week. We've uh, just gone past 80 Facebook Lives in, I don't know, nine months or so. We're at 7 million views. So we know, we know that people respond to it. Uh, like you said, um, I think we're all learning how to do it better. The technology is improving. The equipment's improving. But it's so easy. And anybody can do it who's got the right eye. And I think just like doing hair, who gets educated on how to do it, on how to create content. So talk a little bit about that because I think, you know, um, 
I think you're someone who likes to learn. I think you're, you you dig deep into stuff. You know, any advice on on the learning side of this aspect of our business? I do. Um, I feel like right now with live video and any video, stylists and salon owners are just turning the camera on and then winging it. And it comes across that way. And people will tune out rather quickly because they just feel like they're watching something that's not really inspiring. With Pulp Riot, we actually sit around a room at the beginning of every month with five people. And we just throw around ideas for about two hours on videos that we can create that month. We do it with purpose. And through that, through that brainstorming session, really interesting ideas come out. Some of the ideas really suck, but some of the ideas are really fantastic. And people are thinking about it all the time because they know they're going to have to come to this meeting and discuss and throw around ideas. I think that stylists could take the exact same approach and really think this out. How do you want to brand yourself? How can you brand yourself with purpose over the next month with three to six videos, which show who you are as an individual or shows an aspect of your work, which is unique or different. I just feel like there needs to be more thinking of yourself as a business and how you're going to utilize video to build your brand as opposed to just turning the camera on. And it's scary right now at ISSC. I was sitting at a bar with a lot of other stylists just having a conversation. And I noticed that over the period of about two hours, there was a camera on us almost the entire time. And some of it was ourselves having it on, people documenting what's going on in their lives. And people do need to be very concerned about that and to be very careful about how you handle yourself in front of video. Because all it takes these days is the wrong misstep and it can really tarnish your career. But start thinking about yourself as a business and you're the CEO of your business and you're the marketing department for your business. How are you going to use video to build your brand? Uh, that's, um, that's great advice. And, and I like to tell stylists that, you know, social, you know, is an opportunity, but also the challenge of bringing your brand outside your physical facility, but it is the brand. And, and to me, it's like, we, we, we know, I hope we know how to have conversations with people behind the chair. And now we're extending those conversations. And I would hope the same rules that we apply in real time with individuals who are sitting with us in the salon, that we apply those to the online space. Um, would we drag our clients out to that bar? And, 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 if the, and have a converse, that same conversation with them. And if the answer is yes, perhaps there's a way, you know, to share that video and to document that conversation. If the answer is no, I'd say not. Um, but to me, that's like one of the biggest challenges is, is I think the industry faces. It's like, well, where do you draw that line, you know, between what's appropriate and not, whether it's in real time or online? I, I completely agree. You literally are dragging your clients over to that bar and saying, sit down and watch what I'm saying and watch what I'm doing. Um, and so you, there needs to be some care and uh, care exercise. And politics and religion. You know, we live, in, we live in one of the more politically charged times, I think, in, in our lifetimes. And um, it is what it is. And But the question of, again, online in particular, where we seem to have not as much of a filter sometimes, um, having an understanding of the appropriateness of those conversations and what they could mean to your business, um, regardless of what size of an side of an issue you're on. What's your take on as someone who's been in the salon and, and not getting specific about politics, of course, but you know the, the conversations of politics and business? 
<laughs> I think that is such the wrong way to go. It's interesting with Pulp Riot. I have a team of artists that we work with, our artistic team and our owners. And we have meetings and have discussed the idea that if you're going to be on this team, you can't use social media. It's, it's, a, it's a rule um, that you cannot use social media to discuss politics, religion, sexual orientation, um, any uh, racial issues. Um, it's, it's just not a good idea. And if it's not good for them, it's certainly not good for somebody to do behind the chair. I would encourage people that when their client brings these things up, to try to change the conversation and push the conversation in a different way. It's just not an appropriate place to do that. And it's an easy way. I mean, if you, politics is, the United States is divided about so many issues. And if you are outspoken about one of these issues, then you're alienating half the population. Um, something you don't want to do. And at a time where I think the salon industry has never been as competitive as it is today um, um, for individual clients, you lose a single client by talking about the wrong stuff and, and you potentially have lost a thousand or $2,000 in revenue for the year. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a voice and you shouldn't stand up for what you believe it's using the right platforms to do it and delivering it to the correct audience. You're not, uh, you're not a chief of staff for the white house where it's your job to get that information out. Um, it's something that you share with the right people at the right time. Thank you for that. So, mm -hmm. um, so Pulp Riot. So let's let's we're going to wrap up in a couple minutes, but I, I definitely sure. want what's coming up new with Pulp Riot. Um, give us yeah. a, give us a preview. Pulp Riot has been such a ride, Gordon. It's been so much fun. About 14 years ago, I started my first product line. It was called Level Six, and we all gave each other high fives when we went from one state to the other. It took about a year for us to grow from California to Nevada. And with Pulp Riot, we launched, and within three days, we were in all 50 states and all seven Canadian provinces. It's grown like crazy. And what's interesting with my life is that it's become incredibly busy. There's so little free time in my life. It's a series of meetings with people that I've hired, people that are more talented than I am at certain things. And it's just meeting with them over and over again, making sure we're on the same page, making sure they're heading in the right direction. I, as a entrepreneur at Blood, I've never been happier in my life, but I've never been more exhausted, stressed, and felt the pressure ever in my life. And I've gone through a lot of different projects that have been pretty stressful, but it certainly is rewarding. With Pulp Riot, um, 2017 is the year that we consider it taking over North America. We are releasing um, our lighteners, our developers. We're releasing our uh, different color shades. We're going into different color categories. And we're just going to continue to grow and grow in 2017 through the, through the North America. In 2018, we consider it the year we're going to take over the world. And so a lot of efforts being put into it right now with people that I've hired that are specialists to take our product line, get it all packaged, all ready to go. And so we could do more of a worldwide launch and be compliant with all the legal issues. Um, and so we're ready to roll. So that's kind of what's headed. We're also continuing to grow our team. Um, we definitely started with a select group of people, but we um, feel like there's so many more people out there that have so much more to offer that are stylists. And so we're figuring out ways that we can work closely with some of the more talented artists in the industry and making sure that we, um, it's really important to me that we're not just looking at the number of followers that people have, but instead who's really supportive of the brand, 
who are really good people, who are people that we can learn from. And I'm hoping that hundreds and hundreds of stylists that we're able to scale and figure out how to work with a lot of them. So I've been lucky enough to to meet most of your team members, I believe. It's it's a it's it's a brilliantly talented group of people, but passion, that's the word that comes to mind. I mean, every single one of them is passionate about the brand, they're passionate about the craft, they're passionate about hair color, and they're passionate about each other. You know, it's they are and they're humble. They call me coach or captain. Uh, most of the texts I get um, from Hair God Zito calls me coach. If I get it from Jay Wesley Olson, he calls me cap, short for captain. Um, these people want to learn. Um, we just got back from a trip in Miami where the whole reason we flew everybody out was to learn. They became students. We taught them how to become better presenters and educators. We taught them new techniques. We built them as a team through team building exercises. And we inspired them by taking them on a walking tour of the art district. They were just sponges soaking all of this up. They're fantastic people and they inspire me every day. I just absolutely love the people I work with. And I can't wait to grow the team into more and more talented people. And what was really cool was, um, I, I, I'm just hearing this story, but I saw a lot of their posts you know, as they were wandering mm-hmm. the art district. You know, so, yeah. so how cool is it that we get to know these little insights about one another um, just by paying attention on social? And, and, and for me, it was inspiring to see the art that was inspiring them in that, in that brilliant art district of Miami. Yeah, it was, it was one of the highlights of our year so far um, is walking through that, that the district with all the street art. It really um, captures what we're trying to do with Pulp Riot's brand. And, you know, with our brand, there's this craftsmanship and spirit to our brand that relates to artists, that makes them feel like artists, that makes them feel good about buying our product because it makes them feel like they're doing something more special with it. And we were able to just pull that all together, walking through this inspiring area. Very cool. Very cool. So, so let me, two last questions. First one, um, what are you viewing, listening to, reading, or obsessing about these days? Share some great stuff with our audience. I am obsessing over podcasts. I'm in airplanes so often that I spend almost my entire time unplugging and getting inspired because I'm living in the entrepreneur startup world, that's where most of my attention's focused right now. I love the podcast called Self-Made Man, um, and it, it actually interviews various people. I just listened to a great interview with the people who started that um, co- company called Method out of San Francisco that does um, house cleaning products. I also love the podcast called Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. Um, it, it's just inspiring. And then finally, You've got to listen to the podcast called Startup. It's about it's a podcast about a company that's starting up as a podcast company that the podcast is about. And that sounds so confusing and so freaky, but it's so cool that they're actually doing a podcast about their company as they're growing their podcast company. Um, so those are three that I really recommend. And then when I have that free time at home, um, I listen. To, I watch a, documentaries. I watched an awesome one on Henry Ford recently that's on Netflix. Look for that one. Um, and then I also am not above watching uh, the latest uh, television shows and really trying to unwind and watch things for entertainment value as well. All great recommendations. I share some of the same recommendations, so I, I'm thrilled to hear those. I'm glad you're in the podcast space. I, I hope people who are listening to this will, will look for the ones that you've recommended and, and a whole lot more. I mean, you know, iTunes and all those platforms give you all kinds of great recommendations. It's really cool. So David, tell us where people can find you and can find Pulp Riot 
um, socially and just online generally? Of course, you could actually find me at David Butterfly Loft on Instagram, David Thurston on Facebook, davidcthurston.com online. And you can find Pulp Riot at Pulp Riot Hair across all platforms in the websites, pulpriothair.com. David Thurston, co-founder of Pulp Riot, Butterfly Circus and Butterfly Lofts, American Salon says, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher, Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon Stories next week. Music.